she turned to me and she said, you know, Rocco, you know, you're a pretty smart guy, but there are 12 people there. And even if they're only half as smart as you, they can do six times the amount of work that you can. If you want to have a long, successful career as a leader, as a motivator of people, you need to bring the best out of them. You need to use whatever smarts you have. Think of the puzzle as being, how do I get obstacles out of my people's way and allow them to get work done? And if you do that well, you will leverage yourself many fold. And if you try to do it by yourself, you're going to collapse physically and you simply will not be able to sustain and produce great work, period, full stop. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. I'm your other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, Michael, do we have an amazing guest today. This man is a personal friend of mine. He is truly one of life's angels. He's dedicated his life to making life better for people that are facing some of the most debilitating conditions in the world. He's had an incredible, varied career of success. He is none other than the one, the only, the legendary Rocco Rossi. Welcome to the show, Rocco. Wow. Uh, after that, I'm looking around for who it might be. <laughs> but uh, delighted. Thank you, guys. Great to have you. So, Rocco, you are now the head of the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Canada. But uh, it, you didn't start out there. You know, the name of this no. podcast is The Business of Thought Leadership, and it's all around helping people uh, understand you and your story. How'd you get from where you started out to where you are today, my friend? Well, first of all, I, I had the uh, great intelligence of picking great parents. You know, like uh, many immigrant stories, uh, my, my parents came to Canada from Italy with, with nothing, no money, no education, no knowledge of the language, and built a great life for themselves with courage, hard work, and my life is in no small part uh, an effort to to live up to the example that that they set and to be worthy of the sacrifices they've made uh for me i got very fortunate i i couldn't speak english when i started school because we spoke italian at home uh, but once i started once i learned i was impossible to shut up and uh I ended up being um, tossed out of class from time to time just because I was too much for the teacher to handle, too disruptive, sent to the library. And when the librarian had had enough of my questions, she would send me home. Uh, and one day in the second grade in spring, I was um, sent home from the library. And I didn't want to go home because it would have been the second time that week and my mom would have been really upset. Um, so I was sitting on the steps of a portable classroom outside in the schoolyard, and it was a grade four class, and a boy was at the front of the class, and he was reading out loud from a book and having difficulty with the passage. 
being the just unbelievable snit that I was, uh, I started laughing. The teacher came out, asked what the what was going on, why I wasn't in class, and and I explained. And then why is it that uh, that you're laughing? And I said, well, this is a grade four class, correct? And he said, yes. And I said, well, so why is the student having such trouble with a simple passage? And thinking to embarrass me or or put me in my place, he brought me to the front of the class, flipped the book to another page, asked me to read it in front of the class, which I did. And for the next six years, he came an hour early every day and gave me things to read and became my earliest uh, mentor aside from my parents and really changed my life because I had the sessions with David. I didn't need to act up in class. I had my own independent reading. I was learning things at a, at a quick pace. And he was the one who years later saw an ad in the paper for scholarship exams at Upper Canada College at the elite private uh, high school. He phoned my parents, suggested that I write the exams, which I did. I was fortunate enough to win a scholarship. And that led to another opening up of my world, really got to, got to travel the world, learn so much, uh, went from there to another scholarship to McGill and then a scholarship to Princeton. Uh, and really thinking that I was going to lead my life as a professor. But my mom grew ill as I was writing my PhD. And, um, and I came back to Canada to spend time with her. I got involved in a small family business that my dad had started and uh, two of my cousins and I bought him out so that he could spend more time with my mom. Uh, and it, it, uh, it just took off and uh, turned out I was a reasonable business person, a good salesman. My cousins were happy with the size we grew it to. And I had the opportunity to then sell my share to them, get involved with other businesses and really got, got caught up in a world of, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins, got really uh, into uh, full business mode and, and wealth accumulation mode and worked at the Boston Consulting Group, helped to take a company public, went on to Torstar, was recruited by Labatt Interbrew, and, and life was just rocking and rolling. And uh, my boss and I, went to Belgium to present to our board. We were about to go public, big celebrations as only beer executives can celebrate. And he and I were to have breakfast the next day, only he didn't come down for breakfast. He didn't answer his phone. He hadn't checked out. He hadn't gone to the office. I got them to open the room and, and he had died in his sleep of a massive coronary age 44, two kids in school with my son, and my whole world melted down. Uh, the things that I thought were really important didn't seem all that important when they could be taken away literally in a heartbeat. The Belgians wanted me to move my family to Belgium. I wasn't prepared to leave Canada. I didn't know if I wanted to stay in the beer business. I put succession in place and I was gone about four months later, I traveled with my family, did a lot of soul searching. Some friends of mine got into 
difficulty with an investment that I was brought in to help turn around. It was a publicly traded software company, spent a year, pulled it out of bankruptcy, got it to profitability, ended up selling it. And I should have been really happy because I was coming home from the celebration dinner, closing dinner, big check in my pocket, offers to do more of the same. And I just really, I broke down in the, um, in the subway on the way home. And I realized that I was, I was burying the grief of the loss of, of my friend and, and boss and with work. And, and now that the work had stopped, suddenly I, I was no longer dealing with the, with the grief and it overwhelmed me. Happened to have uh, a newspaper opened up uh, next to me on the next seat. And uh, there was an article about a journalist who just come back from walking a medieval pilgrimage route across the north of Spain, the Camino de Santiago. Seemed like a great idea. Gave him a call the next day, had lunch two days later. I was on a plane to Spain a week after that. And I walked a thousand kilometers in 30 days with just my backpack and my thoughts. And out of that came a resolution to try to make a difference and and try to do things with a public purpose. And that ultimately led to becoming the CEO of the Heart and Stroke Foundation and, and now with Prostate Cancer Canada. Rocco, that's one hell of a story. I got a lot out of what you just revealed to us. Number one, life dealt you a good hand with some great parents. And uh, uh, it's great that you recognize that. Number two is the importance of having some good mentors early on in life. Uh, that teacher of yours who spent six years with you, I think that's extremely powerful uh, and revealing. More people need to get mentors. So if you're listening to this podcast and you don't have good mentors in your life, go get some. And number three, is you were successful by the standard definitions of success, but there was something missing for you. You weren't living a life of purpose. And when you finally discovered your, your purpose to serve, it seems that you've been way more fulfilled. Did I huge. get that right? I'll just give you, uh, huge. And I'll just give you one, one example. In my final year at, at Heart and Stroke, about a week before Christmas, I got a phone call from a woman whose name was Claire. And she said, uh, Mr. Rossi, you don't, you don't know me, but I live in Hamilton. And a few days ago, our father went to an event at Cops Coliseum and collapsed on the steps from cardiac arrest. And the paramedics who saved him said he would have been dead by the time they got there, except for the fact that there was a defibrillator on the wall and the staff of the arena had been trained in CPR. The staff at COPS told us that Heart and Stroke had just installed that defibrillator and done the training. And the folks at, at Heart and Stroke told us that you had led the campaign to put these defibrillators into public spaces. Uh, and in fact, had, had, had kicked it off with a, with a fundraising stunt of cycling 1,900 kilometers from Rainy River to Toronto. 
And so I just want to thank you and tell you that we're celebrating Christmas with our father instead of going to his funeral. And his name is Don, which was the name of my boss who died in Belgium. And there was an incredible circle to that. I was helpless. I couldn't do anything to save Don, but in a small way, I'd helped. Save another Don. <laughs> the, the ripple was another Don. And, and since then, you know, over 100 people have been saved uh, by defibrillators that have been placed across the province and across the country by the efforts of lots of generous donors and, and great people at Heart and Stroke and people at the Mikey Network and elsewhere. And I got to tell you that that phone call was of greater satisfaction to me than any bonus or business reward I've ever received. Wow. It's a remarkable story, Rocco. And, you know, I, I'm getting the sense that you, you, part of your success is the, is the ability to tell a very vivid and uh, powerful story. And stories are what have people become emotionally engaged and, and to take action. I, I would really like to hear how you've used that in your, in your work, and making the difference both at the heart and stroke and now prostate, prostate Canada. Uh, how, how have you used story to, to, to make these massive changes? Well, look, at, you're, you're absolutely right. All of us at the end of the day seek purpose. And the form of, of leadership that I've gravitated to is how do you instill a common purpose in a group of people to have them reach for more than they thought they were capable of doing as a unit? And it's about the development of stories and compelling stories that, that offer meaning not just for staff, but volunteers, for donors. You know, in fundraising, it's often said that 80% of raising funds is the ask. You don't ask, you don't get. And 80% is a B, maybe even a high B. But an A, an A plus in fundraising is not about the ask, it's about the give. It's about laying out the story and inviting someone to be part of it, whether as a donor, as a volunteer, as a staff member. And the more compelling and authentic that story can be so that it touches people, the more successful you will be, your organization will be. And that's, and that's whether it's in the not-for-profit, the for-profit, anything. At the end of the day, people think, well, I can motivate people by giving them a bigger bonus, a bigger paycheck. The reality is, yes, people need to make a certain amount. I mean, it's table stakes. They've got mortgages. They've got families to feed. But at the end of the day, if all you are giving people is money, then the moment someone offers them a bit more, they're gone. And they're effectively temp employees, only the temp nature of their employment is determined by them and not by you particularly your best people. So you have to give more. You have to give a sense of involvement. You have to give a sense of purpose, of meaning beyond just a quarterly result or a campaign goal. And, and that is the give of that 
story and then allowing people to add their chapter to the story. And with regard to story, is this something that you, I mean, sitting on the steps of that, of that portable, you, you started by sharing how you identified that the, 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 the story was being done incorrectly. Is this just a natural gift that you have or how have you developed it over time? Um, well, I, I come from a family of storytellers. My grandfather, my father loved to, to tell, loved to tell stories. I mean, it's just something sort of a gravitated, I find myself attracted to like, mentors who surround themselves with wonderful stories uh, and who inspire with stories and with vision. You know, I, I think it's, it's in part always being on the lookout for it. And each of us has to tell their own story. They have to tell their own story as an individual. They have to tell a story of, of their work, of their community, of their family. And, you know, I think a lot of the problems we face are when, you know, stories are broken. You know, you see that with what we're seeing in, in Canada with uh, reconciliation with First Nations, people feeling that their their story was stripped from them and their children in the residential schools and what that, what that causes as a neuroses. There's, you know, perhaps my favorite book in the whole world. And I, I reread it at least once a year. It's written by an exceptional man by the name of Victor Frankel and it's called man's search for meaning. And, and Frankel as a child survived the concentration camps, but, most of his family did not. Uh, and he went on to become a psychotherapist. And he believed that Freud and Jung didn't get it quite right. You know, sex drive, power, greed, etc. Those are symptoms, uh, but are not the ultimate cause of the neuroses. The the ultimate cause of the neurosis is a loss of meaning in one's life, of a core story that goes beyond yourself. And if you don't have that, then you reach for the crutch of power, money, sex, what have you. And so the, the, the path to health, both of the individual, the community, the country, is, is, is the path of, as Nikki teed it off, a, a purpose filled life, a, a, a life filled with meaning. And that, and that meaning at, at the core is wrapped up in a story. That's very true. That's one of my favorite books, Victor Frankl's yeah. Man's Search for Meaning. He spoke about how seemingly healthy, strong people didn't make it because they mentally gave up. There was no meaning to their suffering. And he right. was able to, to make it and other of his fellow uh, inmates in that concentration camp were able to make it because they imputed a meaning to their suffering. And, and he, he was already a renowned um, uh, psychiatrist when, when, when he wrote this book and when he experienced all this. And when he came out of the camps, he was able to really take that powerful intellect of his and apply it to his experience. You know, it, it's really, really powerful to understand how central meaning is to our lives. And the way that we, we share that meaning is through story. 
you know? 100%. 100%. We're going to be interviewing a man by the name of Charlie Plum uh, in, in, a, in a few weeks. And he is a, a Vietnam War veteran. He was a prisoner of war at the Hanoi Hilton around the same time John McCain w- w- was uh, a prisoner. And uh, he and I briefly spoke on the phone because he wanted to, he was excited about coming on the show, which I'm excited and honored to have a man like him on it. And he talked about how people who were prisoners of war and and, and, and and in the Hanoi Hilton in particular had given it a meaning, became mentally stronger because there was uh, that meaning associated with their experience. I'm really looking forward to this man's uh, interview with us as a wow. result as well. And that's what you're saying, isn't it? In essence, Look forward Michael. to it, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll be right back with our interview with this week's guest. Welcome to another segment of Strategies for Growing Your Business. And today we're going to be talking about don't do it alone. Michael, what does that even mean when people say don't do it alone? Why is that important? Well, most people are doing it alone. And there's no question that when you're doing this type of work, creating programs, developing your own intellectual property, growing your business, if you're doing this on your own, you're only seeing things from your own viewpoint. And that's a dangerous place. It's a limiting place. Why is it so dangerous, Michael? Why is it so limiting? Well, a great mentor of mine, Matt Church, says you're always 10 times better than you think you are. And no matter how great you are, you're always 10 times greater than you are. The problem is you likely don't think that because you're too close to it. You're too close to yourself. You're too close to your own intellectual property. You're too close to what you know uh, as a thought leader. And so when you surround yourself with other people who are doing this work, you actually get to bounce ideas off and they actually get to help you experience and realize your full potential. That's fantastic. And the other thing about don't do it alone is, you know what, if if you're on your own, you can get stuck. You might not know the way out, right? And, and if you're around other people who are equally smart, equally talented, then not doing it all actually becomes a great thing because they get to give you the insights that could help you get past being stuck on that plateau. Right, Michael? Absolutely. Past guest... Bruce Bowser talked about, and I think he actually talked about it before before the episode, but he talked about working out with Mark McCoy, and he's been working out with him, what, 17 years? 17 years. 17 years. longer than me. Yeah, it's incredible. And he says the key factor to why the workouts are so excellent is that Mark's actually doing the workout with him. What that does is it inspires him, it, it shows him a, a new way, it creates creativity around the workout, and it's co-created, really. It's the same thing that happens when we gather all of the, the coaches and consultants and entrepreneurs who are building their own intellectual property, their own thought leadership, and building their authority. When we put them in a room together, what happens is they all progress much more quickly together because they're bouncing ideas off of each other. They're modeling the behavior and they're pushing people that natural competitive nature that we all have to, to, to act when, when, it's call, when you're called to act, 
actually kick in. When you're sitting alone in your office, in your house, that doesn't happen. You stay at that flat line of wherever you're at. And so it's a powerful, powerful environment when you actually start working with others and what and what's possible. I love it. I love it. So you know what else I think is extremely powerful, Michael? Just building on what we just said, we have this amazing three-day immersion that we do once a quarter. And this is an opportunity for you to experience the power of not doing it alone. And if you want to find out more about signing up for one of those, we do them in Toronto, oh, uh, uh, again, once a quarter. They, they, they happen once in each season. You can visit our website, eCircleAcademy.com, and we'll put a special code in the show notes for you if you're interested as a listener of this podcast so that you can get our best friends and family rate. Check it out, eCircleAcademy.com. It's a great place to learn about not doing it alone. And that wraps up another exciting segment of Strategies for Growing Your Business. So Rocco, you went from business, you you went into the philanthropic world, you've lived a life where, I mean, as you just revealed to us, you've you've saved a hundred lives because of the fact that you were at um, well, heart our, and stroke our team, minimum. Our team did, and that gave me the opportunity to participate in it. Sure. Yeah, right. And, and and I know that it was it was not just you who did it. I mean, the theme that I'm getting from you loud and clear is that you don't do anything alone, right? No. Uh, and, and the power of not doing it alone. Could you expound upon this? Because I think this would be very valuable for someone listening to this. When I first went to the Boston Consulting Group and, uh, you know, I'm in amongst some of the smartest people I've ever I've ever known. They were all sort of top of their class and 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 recruited from top business schools across the country and in the U.S. And the first assignment uh, I was given when I joined it was at a big insurance company in the states, and and there was a restructuring and. Each of us were broken down into small groups and we were responsible for putting together the recommendations of how we were going to get to this total, this restructuring total of X thousands of employees. And so each group, subgroup had had to do their own sort of process re-engineering maps and say, okay, we can pull out X number of people by, by restructuring this because if we didn't cut the cost, the company was going to go under. And I was given a team of 12 people from the insurance company to, to work with people who knew the business and could, could get me up to speed quickly and could help do the, do the work. And we had a mid, mid assignment report to give out to the leadership that was overseeing this, this restructuring and 48 hours before we were supposed to report out I had a meeting with my team of 12 to put together our document and and I felt that the work that had been done was really poor was was not well thought out was not well presented and I basically put my head down didn't sleep for 48 hours redid the whole document all of the pieces that the other 12 people had done and we presented and you know the leadership group was very laudatory was saying you know great report really gives us confidence that we can get to get to the number but my manager pulled me aside after that 
and said, Rocco, you look like hell, man. I mean, you know, great work, but, but what gives? Like something wrong? And I said, well, you've, you've given me 12 of the stupidest people on earth. And 48 hours ago, there was no report. And I basically haven't slept for 48 hours and I put this report together. And she turned to me and she said, you know, Rocco, you know, you're a pretty smart guy. And that's why we recruited you as we recruited the other people at BCG. But there are 12 people there. And even if they're only half as smart as you, they can do six times the amount of work that you can. If you want to have a long, successful career as a leader, as a motivator of people, you need to bring the best out of them. You need to use whatever smarts you have. Think of the puzzle as being, how do I get obstacles out of my people's way and allow them to get work done? And if you do that well, you will leverage yourself many fold. And if you try to do it by yourself, you're going to collapse physically and you simply will not be able to sustain and produce great work, period, full stop. And that's been one of the greatest management lessons that I was ever given. And I was very fortunate to have it done early on in my career. Wow. Incredible. That's one of the things Michael and I are big believers in is don't do it alone. And I think you just very vividly demonstrated why that's so important. Rocco, we like to wrap up each episode by asking you as our guest to give our listener your top three expert action steps that you believe they ought to implement in their life, in their business career to get optimal results. So what are they? Well, one is discovering and articulating your story. What's meaningful to you? Because if you end up following something that is, that is true to your meaning, to your purpose, you're going to be a success. And you're going to be a success defined by you and your needs and not by any external measure. Getting to that story is not easy because there are, so that's, it's number one, but number two is, okay, so how do I get to that story? I lead a very busy life. I'm attached to my smartphone. I've got meetings to go to. I've got bills to pay. The, the great gift I was given when I walked the, the Camino, when I had that effectively, that breakdown and went in search of my story and myself. The gift that the Camino gave me was, was really the message we get anytime we fly a plane. When the cabin decompresses, masks drop down from the ceiling, make sure you put it on yourself first before you try to help anyone. So the lesson number two is put that mask on, which is finding that time of quiet reflection, however it is, you don't have to go for a thousand kilometer walk, but you need separation time to really listen to your inner voice. And you need to refresh that on a regular, on a regular basis. So that's, that's number two. And number three is to seek out mentors in life 
And then when you reach a point that you're able to do it to, to become a mentor for others, because that's what's going to keep our system, our society healthy and, and prosperous. You'll be successful and in turn, you'll help others to be successful. And that's, that's where we find meaning in life. Wow. Those are three powerful expert action steps. And Rocco, now's the time for you to give us your pitch. How can people get involved in helping Prostate Cancer Canada Foundation? Well, uh, so many ways. Thank you so much for the opportunity. First is to recognize that prostate cancer is a clear and, and present danger. You know, all of us understand uh, the threat posed by breast cancer. One in nine Canadian women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. And tragically, 4,900 women will die in Canada this year of breast cancer. But one in seven Canadian men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in their lifetime. And this year, 4,100 men will die of the disease in Canada. And the age groups of those two groups, the men and the women, virtually the same. So the number's almost the same. So why don't we hear as much about it? And it's, you know, men, unfortunately, don't have it as together as women do when it comes to health. They don't want to talk about health. They don't want to go to the doctor. And health below the waist, if we ain't bragging, we ain't talking about it. (laughs) So number one is understanding the extent of the problem. And there's lots of information at prostatecancer.ca. We really encourage men and those who love the men in their lives to encourage them to get tested starting at age 40. If it's in your family, you might want to have a conversation even earlier. Uh, And if you're of Afro-Caribbean heritage, you're at greater risk than Caucasians or Asians. So Again, something to think about. And if it's in your family, you're at greater risk. So all of those things, education number and awareness and going and getting tested, that's number one. Number two, obviously, we'd love to continue to drive mortality rates from prostate cancer down by investing in best of the best research. And I know people can often get jaded and say, wow, you know, so many you know, millions, if not billions of dollars have gone into it. And yet, you know, people are still dying of cancer. Cancer Society just said, you know, more people are going to contract cancer. So is it all just a scam? In the last 20 years alone in prostate cancer, mortality rates have dropped by over 40%. So yes, tragically, 4,100 men will still die this year in Canada. But if we have the same mortality rates as just 20 years ago, that number would be over 6,500. So we're making enormous progress, about half of that getting men to get over themselves and get tested and half through better treatments that have come through research and have come through the generosity of, of donors like your listeners. So lots of events over the course of the year, lots of ways to participate. Again, prostatecancer.ca and our biggest campaign of the year and I want people to circle it in their, in their calendars right now and think about how they can get their workplaces involved in the final Friday before Father's Day, and that'll be June 15th next year, the final Friday. We want all Canadians, instead of the usual dress-down Friday, jeans Friday, 
We want them to to bust out some plaid, unleash their inner Don Cherry. <laughs> their inner Don Cherry, I love go, it. Go plaid for dad on that final Friday. Encourage your office, your workplace to do it as well and raise funds and awareness for Prostate Cancer Canada and the one in seven men who will be diagnosed with this so that we can help dads 365 days of the year. So platfordad.ca, we've just come out of the camp, the last campaign, over 1,200 organizations across Canada, uh, schools, fire halls, stores, truck yards, offices got involved, and we want to keep doubling every year until we eliminate the death and suffering caused by prostate cancer. Remarkable. Rocco, my man. I'm a dad. Michael, you're a dad. Mm. We uh, are uh, touched by your uh, service to your fellow well, man and your fellow human being, and in this, in this case, specifically to your fellow man. This is, this is awesome. Rocco, we'll definitely put uh, a link uh, for you, the listener, to donate in the show notes. So uh, if, you, if you're a man or if you're a woman who has uh, one or more men in your life that you love, consider donating. Thank you so much, Rocco. This has been uh, a very special episode. Real privilege. Thank Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Take care. Bye-bye now. Michael, great episode. Rocco Rossi. Amazing storyteller. I mean, I was uh, tearing up there a few times, you know, talking about dad and and, uh, the story of his mentorship. And uh, you can really see his success has come from being able to tell great stories and and bring his message across uh, with very powerful emotional impact. Yeah, and I mean, your father faced this. And um, not only your father, many fathers have faced this. Mm. So to have a man of Rocco's stature and caliber come here and and, and spread the message is, is a very special thing. Absolutely. Just love it. All right. That wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership Podcast. To find out more about today's amazing guest, please go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com and make sure that you wear plaid the Friday before Father's Day and do it for dad. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.